Welcome to the Save Your Marriage podcast, dedicated to all the men and women out there who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages. Here, we give you tools, perspectives, and insight into how to save your marriage and have a thriving marriage. This podcast is sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. And now, here's your host, Arturo Henriquez. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I just want to invite all the men and women out there to book a private, complimentary call with me. We will talk about your particular situation in private and give you lots of guidance and put you on the path to restoring and saving your marriage. Just go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call. That's C-A-L-L. So today I want to talk about the issue of sex and how sex is such a powerful issue in marriage. In fact, when you look at the research on why people say they leave a marriage, they actually list a couple of things, and this is the list. They talk about money, kids, religion, the in-laws, and sex. And the only one that is specifically in that order, meaning it's the number one, is money. Right? They give up on the discussion because of money. But the others are kids, religion, in-laws, and sex in no particular order. But sex always comes out somewhere in that second to third top reason. It's a huge reason that people say that they're leaving a marriage. Now, that raises the question of why is it such a big deal? I mean, we're in a culture that is awash in sexuality. I mean, we're constantly surrounded by it. Even if on an award show, somebody is twisting their rear around, it's all about sex. I mean, that's really the focus that we often get from Hollywood and from magazines and from ads on TV. There's men on TV that are in their underpants with very sculpted bodies, and there's lingerie companies that constantly put on very sexualized commercials of women. So we are surrounded by that. It captivates us, and we have very little real information about it. So we have all this this influence of a society that's giving us all these messages around sex. But what we don't know is, are we getting enough sex, or are we getting too much sex, or not enough sex? Are we doing it right? Are we doing it wrong? It's such a taboo subject that we don't know. It's not like our parents told us what was going on with them, at least most of the time, they didn't give us clear messages about what they were doing. And sometimes we weren't even aware that our parents were involved sexually. And so we have all these mixed messages that come at us, whether it's from being told from early ages how we should or should not react and respond, and yet being subtly coerced in other directions or being surrounded by peers that gave us misinformation a lot of times, or having experienced some place where religion played a role in our beliefs about sex, or all the way to the place where we had that whole confusing thing that maybe we got some sex education in school that really didn't answer many of those questions at all. And so we're trying to grasp at that, right? Trying to figure out what it's all about. We have very few clear studies that show us anything useful. You know, the range of what people say when they you know, do surveys, you get a wide range of whether people feel like they're having sex too much or too little. That has no correlation based on the general population of whether they're having sex very often or not often enough. 
And I've talked with some people who felt like they were having way more than enough sex. And it was once a year. I've also talked to couples that were having sex every single day and they didn't feel like it was enough. And certainly that's the case with individuals who might be dissatisfied with their sexual relationship in a marriage. And so we have all this stuff that's all then tied into attraction. Do we have chemistry with our spouse? And one of the things that I hear very often is people saying, you know, my spouse has said to me, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. In other words, that that feeling, that passion feeling is just not there anymore. And that makes it even more confusing. You know, my dear grandmother, who was incredibly open with her discussions and left me with lots of good lessons in life and some understanding of being vulnerable and open. And all of those things told me one time that chemistry is not really a big deal. And she paused from it and she said, unless it's not there. And it really stood out to me of realizing that for when there's not an issue, you know, where the chemistry, where the passion, where the sex is not an issue, it's just a non-issue. When couples, when everything's going okay, it's not anything big. But when it's not there, it begins to be a dominant driving force in couples struggling to get through a marriage and not understanding why that is. So what's going on there? What's up behind that? Well, one of the things is that we all have several layers to our self-esteem. You know, we have several different ways we understand ourselves. And those layers may be how our appearance whether we feel good about how we look or if we're athletic or not or our performance or our work self-esteem and there are those you know how are we as friends how are we as parents and there's also our sexual self-esteem and that's the hardest place the most vulnerable place for people to talk about our sexual self-esteem has so many components of little places along the way where we struggle with understanding are we at an okay place? Are we? Are we accepted that way? And so we have this other piece that kind of intersects there, that we have this sexual self-esteem that may have been damaged by different experiences in life, but it's certainly still on the line in a married life. It's not like it suddenly goes away. We still are very self-conscious about that, and that makes it very difficult for us to have good conversations with a spouse about sex. But there's another piece. There's this fantasy that somehow when you have, you know, when you're married, you know, you'll end up in a married life and have all this sexual harmony. Everything is just going to go fine. Everything's going to fit together. And here's the problem. We all have different preferences, different, not only different preferences, like how often do we want to have sex, but how we want to have the actual sex. Not only that, but that has the ebb and flow to it. And two people with two different ebb and flows, it should be no surprise that sometimes we have a very difficult time getting that together, getting that to coexist in the same place when it doesn't. One of the places that we can feel most rejected is when we're out of sync with our sexuality and our partner. So let's say that one wants to have sex and the other doesn't, but both people are probably going to end up feeling a little wounded from that incident. One person is going to feel rejected and the other is going to feel pressured. And so we end up with this place where, you know, at its best, we kind of find the places where we fit together. 
And I mean that metaphorically and physically, but there are many times when it doesn't quite click, when it doesn't quite come together. And suddenly that sexual self-esteem is wounded. I've had many times of having couples come and tell me exact stories where one of them was saying, well, you know, I wanted to have sex that night and my spouse didn't want to. And the other spouse said, I had no idea that you were interested. How would I have known? You didn't say anything. And so we have a very difficult time being very open about what we're wanting, what we're needing. More so when we're in this protective relationship of marriage where we should be more open. We actually end up often being even more closed down. And so sex ends up being a very loaded subject for all of us around marriage. You know, marriage and sex should be a place where there's a relaxation. And yet often it ends up being yet one more place of struggling in the relationship. Let's think for a moment about how vulnerable sex is because at its best, you're talking about letting two people who can't be any more closely physically than that. There's no other time when we are that vulnerable physically with somebody. And so there's a vulnerability there that we often underestimate, that we often miss how powerful that is and how it shapes us in this relationship. But our limbic system understands this. And this is what we start talking about. Why is sex so powerful in a relationship? Our limbic system is the midbrain. You have that very primitive lizard brain which really in terms of sex, it's all about that. Can I get that person pregnant or can I get pregnant? I mean, it's the biomechanical part of how our genes get carried onto the next generation. And so we have that lizard brain that that's all about that. You know, that's all about mating, mating and mating and so on. Then you've got this other piece about that. That's more about the emotions and above that, you have the thinking piece, the neocortex. It has all these thoughts and its processing is critiquing ourselves. But the limbic system, that limbic place is about connection. And what we know is that when a couple is having sex, is being sexual with each other, the limbic system takes over in that moment, not when they're trying to figure out what the other person wants, but when they're actually engaged in the sexual act. And I'm not just talking about intercourse, talking about any sexual act of vulnerability. At that point, their limbic system ends up actually being more in sync. Not only that, but there are studies that show that there is such a thing. It's called HRV, the heart rate variability. This is not heart rate like how many beats, but it's the spacing of the beats and how those beats look and how the shape of them changes. And we know that stress changes your HRV. Stress changes that. And so there's a certain way that they even measure how your heart rate is showing your stress. But what we know that's interesting is when a couple is having sex, their heart rate variability actually begins to sync up. It begins to match up and they are connecting in ways that are far more deep than their verbal skills are capable of. And so when we reduce it to, it's just about sex, well, it's not just about sex. That's one of the myths that we carry around with us about sex, is that it's possible just to have sex. It really is not. It's not possible to do that. It's not possible to just have this relationship because we are so connected to somebody that we are revealing something that you couldn't have otherwise. 
you know, I always think about the fact that there's this biblical notion when the Bible talks about someone having sex, they use the term that they knew them. And I find that to be such an interesting term because we have information about someone that you could not get in any other way. When we have sex, we have a connection with them. We have a knowledge of them that goes beyond any other relationship. And so when people say, oh, it's just that, you know, we're just having sex, I don't buy it. And I extend that into marriage, that there's this deep bonding connection that is present in that act, which is why it's so painful when things are going awry, when things are going wrong. It makes it so difficult. And that's why we get into these arguments, these discussions. Now, there are clearly some male-female differences. I mean, we're just talking about biology here. There is a difference of male and female. There's a difference of male and female even in our genetically encoded risk factor. I mean, having sex for a woman can mean bringing another life into the world in a way that men struggle to fully understand. And so even if there is protection in place, or even if there's no way for that to happen, there is still a subconscious attribution to the higher risk of that for women that I, I think sometimes it's hard for men to understand. Now, there's also this competing need for the male. For males, there's often a need for feeling competent, that that is an overwhelming place, a need for feeling competent. And how does this play out when, let's say, they're having a difficult time arousing a spouse or having a difficult time performing sexually that begins to eat away at that feeling of competence, which is why it sometimes begins to be such a battlefield. And why? Oftentimes when a man feels like he's not capable of satisfying a spouse, it begins to be working so hard against the relationship. Now women have a need for feeling that closeness, of feeling that connection, that protection, that closeness. Now again, I'm talking in generalities here. There are differences that are individual, but if you go with generalities, that's there. And so when a woman is kind of going for that closeness and a man is trying to prove his competence, closeness and competence don't necessarily go together and they can end up in being arguments. And that's where we find some of the strains that come through the relationship. So then there are some stereotypes that get in our way. I've heard many times he just wants sex and she doesn't like sex. To know that th those are stereotypes that we somehow reinforce when I talk to men in private, I have not had one man said, I just want sex. That's all I want. I just want to get off. And yet I've heard women after women accuse the man of just that. And when I have women alone, they tell me how desperately they want that kind of connection, that depth of connection. And yet when I have men, they tell me how their spouses don't like sex. It's not about that. It's about when it begins to be a tug of war. It's about when it begins to be a struggle because men need physical connection to have emotional connection and women need emotional connection to have a physical connection. They're both trying to get to the same place. And sometimes a man may take a pill to perform better, to give their spouse more arousal. And sometimes women, you know, read books to give their men uh, more arousal, or sometimes they partake more in household chores to show up a little better. And sometimes, you know, my, a man can take 
on putting the you know the kids to bed and getting the bath together and all of that. And you know we call that being romantic, but when it's the norm, it doesn't change the rates. That's just a fact. So we have these ideas that we fix these things externally, yet we miss the fact that there may be a relational piece that we need to look at. So what is that relational piece? That sex truly is a connection. Let me say that again, that sex truly is a connection only when it's treated that way. Now, can it just be getting off? Yeah, it can be that. But why is it that it's such a powerful element in a relationship? I mean, if it's only about getting off, masturbation does that. And what we know is that it, it's not satisfying for most people in a way that sexual intimacy is because the connection is really what we're after. Now, I'm setting aside the issues of sex addiction that what really is about getting the dopamine load. And let's be very clear that we all are going to get a dopamine load in sexual intimacy, and it relates all those great oxytocin hormones that are about bonding. And yet in the end, let's think about how that helps increase our level of connection with our spouse. And part of what happens is that couples end up fighting over something that really is too bad. I can't tell you how many times I've heard couple after couple, you know, we just don't have time for sex. There's no time for that. How are we going to work that into our life? Now, let's do a little reality check, right? Let me ask you a question. Did you watch TV last night? Because the mass majority of the country did. And if they say no, not last night, I'll ask, well, how about the night before? Or how about the night before that? In the last four nights, have you watched TV? And generally speaking, they have watched TV. And then I'll follow up with how long did you watch TV? Usually it's between a half an hour and four hours. Well, here's the truth about typical marital sex. It's between 15 minutes to a half an hour is how long most people, most couples take to have sex. And we have this fantasy, right? Somewhere in our head, we hold on to this, oh gosh, it's going to have to be all night. And that gets in our way. Instead of saying, you know what? Prioritizing is important. I could sit there and watch TV and be brain dead, or I could be intimate with my spouse. So I kind of just want to take away that excuse. It's not about time. It's about priority. The second thing I want to just kind of pull away from that, the whole piece is that we have this mindset that, you know, I'm not in the mood. I'm not feeling enough connection. And you're missing the fact that if we move in that direction, if we move towards each other in physical ways, we're actually building connection. See, we get into this chicken and egg arguments about whether we start with connection that leads to sex or sex leads to connection. And the answer, as we talked about before, is yes, both. We can do both. And we don't have to say, I would prefer to be connected before I have sex or to say, I prefer to have sex before I'm connected. Let's get rid of that dichotomy and say that sex and connection are in the same ballpark. They're about the same thing. Yet we get stuck in this dynamic of trying to tease out who wants what. And all we end up doing is falling back into these stereotypes and dichotomies that do not exist. So the question is, can we say it's the priority is really about connecting? We are going to work on the connection. We're going to work to be connected. If we're disconnected, maybe this is a way of connecting. 
one of the things that we also miss is how strongly the desire can build up in a couple that leads only to frustration when there is no expression of it. So now we're at that place that we're really talking about biology, that we do have a body that has a natural rhythm to it. And one of the things I've noticed over the years that women vastly underestimate what that is like for men, because the buildup, the feeling of buildup of wanting release, and not just, again, not about masturbation, but about wanting a release of connection with a spouse goes from desire to frustration to anger. Now, what I also understand from women, and again, I'm speaking as a male, and of course, I'm not a woman, but I've understood from women that they can feel like an object, an object of sex. And when that happens, all we've done is reduce it to one element. We're multidimensional, we're biological, we're spiritual, we're, we're mental. We have lots of different pieces that interlock in ways that we will never fully understand, but we cannot divorce one from the other. That there is a place to say we are built in ways that are sexual. I've had people say, you know what? I'm not about the attraction piece. It's just that that's not about me. And I would say that that's not the way we're built as humans. That on some level, there is attraction that floats around. There's chemistry that floats around. And there's a certain glue of that in a relationship, in a marriage. And that's why we have boundaries that we place on the marriage of saying, you know, it's not that I will never be attracted to somebody else. It's that I choose not to ever have any action based on that, that I'm going to filter that attraction towards my spouse. And then we're back to connection. And when we nurture our attraction and our connection with our spouse, guess what? It tends to grow. But when we neglect it, it tends to wither. And so our choice is to say, Am I going to keep that as a priority? Am I going to recognize that this isn't just some sexual thing, some getting off thing? This isn't just some physical thing, that there's something else deeper than that. Sex is deeply physical. It's also deeply spiritual, and it's also deeply connected. We tend to underestimate that, and then we are in a bad place. We tend to get angry about that. And we tend to blame our spouse and take out stereotypes. And so what I want to suggest is that just for a moment, we suspend all of those, these bombardments of what this all means to us and say, is this about connection? How can we kind of connect with each other physically in a way that is vulnerable, that is not possible in any other way? And how about the spirituality of that in terms of ecstasy? I mean, that really what we're talking about is a basic loss of control. You can't have an orgasm unless you lose muscular control of your body. Your muscles have to take over at some point. That is a keen to ecstasy in spiritual practice. And so can we bring that piece of it into it? And can we attend to the fact that this is a connecting way? Which leads us to say, are we willing to prioritize that there is a physical level of our relationship and we're going to set a priority to it. And it's too easy to let the other priorities get in the way. Just kind of say, well, you know, that'll happen when it happens. And busy life, unless you say this is a priority, it will not happen. The second place after you've decided, can you make it a priority is, can you say, 
Am I not going to drop back to stereotypes? Am I not going to drop back to looking at my spouse and accusing them of a stereotype that is likely to be unfair and likely to be untrue? And can I see this as our connecting way of building a connection, that there's a connection that overarches your relationship that is beyond whether you feel extremely connected right now or not, but you're willing to be connected. And that's the piece where we see that that dance between a couple gets them in trouble unless they step back and say, wait, overall, we have this connection that we can share. And guess what? By being intimate, by having sexual relationship, we can also have the opportunity to amplify our connection. And that connection is what keeps us happy, safe, and in a loving relationship. Thank you for listening. Now, I want to introduce you to the Fortified Spouse Program that has helped thousands of women and men just like you save their marriages with an 85% success rate. It is based on four fundamental pillars. One, gain the tools to reconnect with your spouse. Two, understand the differences between men and women so we can appreciate and be more empathetic with our spouse. Three, learn how to gain inner confidence so we are no longer codependent on our spouse. And four, deal with our insecurities and triggers so we are more emotionally in control and not as easily triggered. If you're interested in learning more about these tools to immediately stabilize the marriage and postpone and delay the divorce or separation or win your spouse back from an affair, then go to www.fortifiedspouse.com and enroll in the program. It is going to change your life. It is going to make you the best version of you, and it has the highest probability of saving your marriage. You have been listening to the Save Your Marriage podcast for men and women. For further information, visit The Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.